0: Good morning. We're going to pick up a little bit where we left off on Wednesday night. Uh, we began to talk about a number of things really pertaining to the idea of almost being lost. But then we began to touch a little bit on our personal struggles. And so we're going to go back and spend a little bit of time talking about the Christian struggle. And I think most of us, if we go back, will say, you know, you know, every morning when I walk through our, our facility early in the morning, I'll ask people how their day went. You guys ever seem to notice that some days are better than others? Some would go so far as to say some weeks are better than others. And I've even heard people really say, you know, this has not been a very good year in and of itself. Well, the reason that they would make those statements is it's not been a good day or a good week or a good year is because oftentimes, if you go back, they're dealing with a number of issues. They're struggling with different things. And as they work through whatever the issues are that they're struggling with, an awful lot of people seem to have a wrong idea of why they struggle or where even the struggle comes from. And I will say for us as Christians, it's good for us to look at struggles as we begin to back up a little bit and begin to really focus on where do these struggles actually lie? Because I don't think we oftentimes will do that in the midst of a struggle. And so a lot of people struggle with where do struggles come from or why do they happen? Many have the idea that as they become a Christian, we've mentioned before, that they seem to think everything's just going to be a whole lot better. Uh, problems are going to go away. And then when they have problems as a Christian, they're extremely confused. Sometimes they're angry. Sometimes they're really disillusioned with the idea of Christianity as a whole. And this may lead to either individual acts of unfaithfulness, or at its worst, somebody may actually walk away and depart from the faith entirely. This was such a problem within the first century that if you go back, you'll you'll be reminded that Paul was actually so worried about the Christian struggle in general, he had to tell the Ephesians to be strong and to be prepared to stand against the devil. Let's go on over to Ephesians 6. We're going to actually look through verses 10 through 17. Paul's going to give us some understanding here as he begins to define the Christian struggle, and he's going to really do it from more of an aerial view. He's going to explain to us what the real problem is. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Let me pause for just a second. You know, oftentimes we think we can do it ourselves, uh, and I will have to tell you that that used to be, that used to be me. I didn't want to ask for help. I can do it all by myself, right? I can depend on myself. Paul lets us know right off the bat, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. We don't always have it within ourselves, okay? Our strength needs to be in the Lord. He says, And in the power of His might. Now he says, verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the question is not really if we will struggle as Christians. The question really is when will we struggle, how will we struggle, and how exactly will we react when we are struggling within life. It's not a a question of will Christians struggle. We all struggle. Matter of fact, we oftentimes see ourselves, see our brothers, our sisters in Christ struggling with something. So Paul lets us know real quick. It's not a question of if you will struggle. You're going to. Now Paul begins to help us out a little bit more. He's already told us to be strong in the Lord, but then he begins to define for us what this real struggle is for the Christian. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. Paul's going to break this down. Okay? We need to be we need to be ready to stand. He says in Ephesians 6:12, "For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world." against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now Paul uses an interesting word here in Ephesians 6:12. He says that we wrestle. What exactly is the word wrestle there? Well, if you go back and you begin to look at this word wrestle, it comes from a Greek word that literally means to struggle. And if you look at the tense of the word used here, he makes it clear to us this isn't some one-time thing we're going to deal with, right? It's not a you're just going to struggle once and then life will be great and it's all over. The, the tense of the word here shows this is, this is an ongoing thing that you're going to deal with for the rest of your life. You are going to struggle. You're going to fight against something. You're going to wrestle the rest of your life, ongoing and continuously, right? You know, oftentimes when I get up in the morning, that's my first, that's my first thought. What's going to go wrong today, right? And I don't want to have a negative mindset, uh, usually when people ask me in the morning, how's your day going? I say, well, I woke up this morning, so so far it's starting off pretty good. Right? But there are, there are times where it's like, when's the other foot going to fall? Right? We're constantly on the lookout for a struggle when things do not seem to be going right. Now, I wish that the Bible taught that this life is just all flowers and rainbows and it's all great, but it doesn't teach that anywhere. The idea that the Christian life is without struggle and trials that, that is just inherently wrong. And we can know that because we can actually go back and look at first century Christians who were struggling on a day-to-day basis. We have examples of the followers of God even throughout the Old Testament who were dealing with persecution and struggling on a day-to-day basis. And so, I guess I would say this for anybody watching or for those of us here, as faithful Christians, we are going to endure more hardships and more struggles than the non christian You're going to. And the reason is, is because you're not all wishy-washy and there's a standard which you hold to. Because of that, you're going to face a whole lot more trials and a whole lot more struggles. Paul actually tells us why this is the case, verse 12. Let's continue on in verse 12. He told us we're going to wrestle, but he says it's not against flesh and blood. Now let that sink in, because I think most times when we are dealing with something, we'll literally say, I can't believe this person did that. Or I can't believe that this person would do this to someone else right our ongoing struggles that we have it's not it's not necessarily or at its most root level it's not against the other people of this world uh... although it does appear that way in many situations as a matter of fact it often seems like our struggle is against flesh and blood because it's it's people literally who often attack us and it is through people by which many of our troubles come but here's the thing, looks can be deceiving. And you may say, well, who's really at the root of it? The people in and of themselves is not the root of the problem. If you dig down deeper, it's simply a manifestation of the real forces of evil in which we battle. If somebody's causing sin and struggles in my life, yes, they are physically causing the issue, but dig down another deeper, a deeper level. Where's the issue with them? Why are they doing that? Well, the problem always, it always lies somewhere with sin. Paul says our real struggle again, it's it's against principalities. It's against powers. It's against the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. He goes back and he begins to sum up all these different entities at the avenues, as the avenues in which Satan's schemes are going to take place, right? Satan's schemes are taking place, but it's taking place through that person or through that law or through whatever it may be. Guys, all the way back in verse 11 where we started, he literally describes who our fight is really against. And you may say, well, I'm having a problem with my neighbor. Right? My, neighbor's being, my neighbor's doing this or my neighbor's doing that or my spouse is doing this or my spouse is doing that. And it's inherently it's sinful the way that they're acting and so forth. Notice what he says again in verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles... Now, you probably don't use that word very often. The schemes of the devil. What's involved in schemes? Well, if you know somebody who's a schemer, or somebody who who carries out schemes, the idea is trickery and deceit, right? The whole idea behind, like for example, a a scheme to sell property is, is to deceive somebody and trick somebody so you can make money off of them, right? You're deceiving them. The devil is the great deceiver. He says the schemes, the wiles of the devil. He's going to use every method he can to defeat us, and they would include anything which is con- anything and everything which is contrary to the will of God. Now, most often, those of the world are the ones who carry out these schemes. They're the ones who are acting contrary to the will of God. Sometimes, though, it is our own brothers and sisters in Christ, and sometimes it is us. But here's what we need to understand as we talk about these schemes of the devil, and I'll talk about them here in a minute. They're being carried out. What's the scheme of the devil, the will of the devil? Anything that's contrary to the will of God. If you're dealing with a struggle in life and it's because something that is contrary to the will of God is taking place, it's a scheme of the devil being carried out. It may be being carried out by an individual, but at its most root level, it's a spiritual battle. right? Spiritual battle between their free will to do right and to do wrong. And we'll talk about this a little bit more on a local level. We touched on it last weekend. But here's the thing. Man has free will. We have decision. We can make our own decision. Satan's going to do, though, whatever he can in order to tempt us and to make these wrong decisions. And the scheme of the devil is to make that which is sinful look permitted, to look pleasurable, to look acceptable. If you would ask the culture around us about a number of things that are sinful, they would say, yeah, oh, this is perfectly fine, right? If it, if it feels good, if it looks good, whatever, how could it be wrong? It's a scheme of the devil being carried out by those around us. The schemes are many. Uh, he uses as many of them as he can, and all of them in, really, in fact, in order to try to tempt us to violate the will of God. And here's the thing, the, the allurements of these schemes in which... He uses to tempt men. It really hasn't changed over the years. I'm not going to go back and list them all. I'll give you a couple ideas as we go forward, but you can see the evidence all the way back in Genesis 3. I'll just read the one passage and not read the entire account because you're all familiar with it. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And then he begins to go on and to deceive them, right? but it looks so good. How could it be bad? How, how uh, How could this be bad for you? Well, Satan used a lie to get Adam and Eve to disobey God. He realizes he can't force anybody to violate God's will, but what he can do is he can use those things which are appealing to us, those things which are tempting to us, to try to get us to sin. And he does the same thing today. Let me use the example of somebody who is not sitting here in church today might look around, I see a few missing. As a matter of fact, I won't give their names out, but I see a few missing. Why would they be missing? Well, maybe they're deceived into thinking that sleep is much more important. Maybe they've been deceived into believing that there is no such thing as a God. Maybe they've been deceived uh, into into accepting and believing that the culture around them is better at defining uh, the way in which they ought to live. Maybe they're not here because of extracurricular extracurricular activities or hobbies or whatever it may be. Um, Maybe they think this. It's Father's Day. I was asleep, man. I can always go back next week. Yeah, you're assuming there's going to be a next week. But it could be any of those thoughts. And so my simple reason for saying that is is oftentimes we are influenced uh, in the wrong way. And that's a spiritual battle. That's a spiritual battle that we're dealing with within ourselves. Sometimes Satan's methods of deceiving us or making us struggle or causing us to, to, be, uh, to stumble in life, sometimes it is not limited to people. Uh, instead, it could simply be the sinful things that he's using to appeal uh, to make us. And let me just give you an example. How about we use, we'll use an easy one. We'll talk about the lust of the flesh for just a second. Uh, how about Pornography. Pornography causes all kinds of people, both men and women, to stumble, right? That's a personal choice they have to do when they get on the old computer or wherever, whatever it is they're doing. Or to look at, for, for a husband or a wife to look at somebody else that they're not married to inappropriately. How about alcohol? Alcohol's a great deceiver. How about drugs? Uh, I literally, I won't, I won't mention, literally saw a problem, I guess, this week at work with somebody. Um, how about the desire for power or money? There are so many things that cause us to, to stumble and to, be, uh, to, to struggle in life, to be tempted. And as you begin to break it down, it's not just the money in and of itself. This, is, this goes much deeper than that. It's a spiritual battle in which we have the ability to make the decision. We can choose to, to follow that route or we can choose not to. And a lot of people would just say, ah, oh, just, he just likes money. It's deeper than that. He just likes alcohol, it's deeper than that. He just likes drugs, it's, it's deeper than that. And I don't think we see that at the time, and there's so many temptations we won't go back and cover them, cover them all. Now you may say, Wendy jokes about it sometimes, right, the, the devil made me do it. Well when you go back and you begin to look at Adam and Eve, in that case he literally was tempting them directly. He can't do that today. But he doesn't need to when he has men carrying out his schemes. Somebody's out producing pornography. Somebody's making alcohol. Somebody's selling drugs. Somebody's, somebody's carrying out the schemes of Satan on a day-to-day basis. And you guys want to know why? Because they are, their father is not our father. We can go back and you are the, you know, of your father. They do the things of their father. And so Satan doesn't have to tempt us directly when other people will carry his schemes out for them. They're not of the kingdom, and so they don't live according to the kingdom. Now, in many situations where we struggle, where we're tempted, Satan's simply rooting for us to submit and to give up. And so, again, our struggle is not a man-against-man struggle at its deepest level. It's much more deeper than that. But I think that's what it appears at some times. It is a constant battle against Satan and against these schemes that he has in place to really to entice us, to discourage us, and to deceive us. And for all of us here... I hope we are honest enough to say, you know, on most days we at least at some point have some type of a struggle. I do, you do. And the sad part is, is most of the time when it happens, we do not look at it for what it really is. It's a much deeper reason behind why we're struggling. It's usually, it's a sin-related issue. Not always, and I'll touch on that, but usually that's what it is. Now, many have have become guilty of thinking... Why is God doing this to me? Why, why is God allowing me to deal with this? And I've actually had that question come up uh, a, a couple of times. Guys, before I was a Christian, that was me. And for many of you, you may, you may have said, at some point I have asked myself, why would God do this to me? Well, that's not actually what's taking place. Let me break it down again. And we began to, t- we began to talk about this on Wednesday night, but I'm going to break it down again because there are people watching this online first of all often the times when we struggle it's not because it's not because God's doing something to me we need to remember first we live in a natural world governed by natural law people get sick people get old my hairline's not as low as it used to be my, my knees don't feel like they used to be uh, like they used to so I see Larry's Larry back Why do we have fires on houses? Why do we have tornadoes? I live on this planet, made by God, and this planet is governed by the natural laws that he put into place. I'm gonna get old, my knees are gonna hurt, and eventually, guys, as much as I don't like to think about it, I'm gonna die. And here's what's even worse. We have loved ones who are gonna die. And I've seen people when this stuff starts to play out in their life where they say, why would God do this to me? why would God take that person from me? Well, let me break it down a little bit easier. These things are not the punishment of God. We live on a planet governed by natural law. And so, somebody dies, that's not God punishing me. Tornado comes through and rips my house down. Why don't we talk to Job? That's not In Job's case, there was a different spiritual battle going on there, but that's not, that's not God punishing me. I just live in a, I live in a world governed by natural law. Sometimes it's not, it's not natural law that has anything to do with it. How about poor decision-making? And we begin to touch on this on Wednesday night. Poor decision-making either by me or by somebody else. Let me give you an example. I go down here and I'm following the laws. I don't jaywalk, so I'm at the crosswalk, right? Actually, I, I do jaywalk. but I'm at the crosswalk. I'm going to follow the, 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 the laws, you know. There's a spot right down here you can cross. And somebody decides they're not going to slow down. They're going to speed through the crosswalk, and they kill an innocent pedestrian. And they're probably going to get charged with manslaughter. The person who got killed, that's not God punishing them. That's somebody who made a horrible decision and sped through. And the natural law in this world we live in is if you get hit by a 2,000-pound or a 4,000-pound vehicle, you're probably going to die, right? So their family is saying, why would God do this to me and allow my loved one to be killed? God didn't do it. The person driving that 4,000-pound car is the one that did it. And then the person who was driving the car, let's say they were intoxicated, they, they end up in, in jail and the officer comes and says, hey, we're going to charge you with manslaughter. And the guy's like, what? And he's like, you killed somebody. And he's like, why would God do this to me? Now I've got to go to jail for the next however many years. And the answer is, is God's not punishing you. You made a poor decision. The person who died and their family, they're dealing with the consequence of it, and now you're dealing with the consequence of what you did. This is, this is due to your poor, poor choice. This isn't God punishing somebody. Guys, this is just another example of where, in this case, somebody could be uh, deceived by alcohol, by drugs, and so forth. Um, and now you've got not only themselves, but somebody else dealing with their poor choices. Guys, this happens all the time in our daily lives. And oftentimes we unrighteously and unrightly accuse God of things that He does not do. And sometimes, again, when when these things happen, people are asking, why would God do this? Here's the thing. We need to remember when this type of things are taking place, there's something at a much deeper level. There's a deeper force taking place. There's There's a deeper battle taking place. In that case right there, you guys can see how simple it is in that example. What caused this? about the person who was using drugs or alcohol and made the poor decision to not slow down, right? Or let's say they were jaywalking and not following the rules. Their poor decision allowed that to take place. Guys, here's what's even more sad. In these cases where sin is being used and it is causing us to, let's say, struggle or causing... We are even involved in sin and we're we're causing ourselves to struggle. In most of these cases, what's even more sad is is the person does not even realize... They are the means by which Satan's will is being carried out. They don't know. And I would say that goes for a majority of people, for example, in my secular workplace where they're involved in this or this or that, which is the complete opposite of the will of God, so it is... it's the will of Satan. It's part of Satan's schemes. They have no idea. They have no idea that they are a pawn at play in carrying out Satan's schemes. For us as Christians, we do know that, and so we have to have a plan of resistance. Let me read again verses 10 and 11, and then I'll go back to uh, verses 13 and 14. I think these two verses are very very good in going together to understand something. Again, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Now slide down to verse 13 and 14. He says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Let me pause for a second. The word there, withstand, if you look it up in the Greek, means to oppose, to resist. What am I opposing and resisting? Well, he's already talked about the schemes of the devil. Okay, You need to be ready to oppose that, to resist it. You need to be on the lookout and you need to be prepared. Okay, He goes on in the evil day. Now, some may jump to the conclusion he's talking about the day of judgment here. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that day of trial, that day of struggle. For me, it could be tomorrow. And he's saying you need to be prepared to oppose, to resist on whatever that day is when the scheme of Satan is being carried out. Okay? You need to be prepared. And having done all to stand, and he says it again, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. If you're going to stand against the schemes of Satan, you need to be an educated and dedicated Christian. You better have some idea of who your foe is. You better have some idea of how he he carries out his schemes. I think for many of us who are educated, we can sit back and look and say, that's clearly the scheme of Satan being carried right out in front of my eyes, here within my culture or here wherever, because that is completely contrary to the will of God. So you want to be prepared to stand, you better have some idea who who your battle is, who you're fighting against. I'm going to show a little bit of my age here. Well, and maybe you guys don't even listen to this type of music, but I guess by nod of the head. Does anybody know who Aaron Tippin is? Aaron Tippin. If you don't, he used to sing a song back in the day. It says you're going to have to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. It is a great song if you go back. Let me say this, it's pretty hard to stand for the truth when you don't know it. And it is extremely hard to stand for the truth when you surround yourselves with people who do not live according to the truth. Right? You may say, why am I dealing with this? I don't know if you realize this, but you notice you've surrounded yourself by people who live completely immoral lives. And then you wonder, why are you dealing with all the struggles you have in life? Well, maybe the people you've surrounded yourself are bringing an awful lot of trouble into your life, right? You need to have some idea about what it is you're standing against, who you're surrounding yourself against. If they don't live lives practicing truth, you're going to have to deal with that. These are just a couple of things that cause us to be vulnerable to different types of temptations around us. One, not being educated. Two, who am I surrounding myself intentionally with? I say intentionally, guys. You're going to deal with people who are not Christians and are not, not carrying out the will of God every day on a daily basis, right? I hate to tell you this, but you're not surrounded by a great percentage of Christians in this world. And so you're going to deal every day with people who are not living according to God's will. In verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God. Consists of a number of, a number of things. In your plan of resistance, he says, you need to be strong. You need to resist this. You need to oppose this. And then he begins to tell you, you better arm yourself. He starts off talking about your loins being girded with truth, verse 14. Why would we need to focus on the truth? Well, if you go down and break it down to its most root level, the devil's schemes all oppose truth. And that is why Paul starts off with focusing on truth. The devil is a liar, and he has been from the very beginning. His whole goal is to oppose truth and deceive you from following the truth. Listen to John eight forty four. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. You ever heard someone say, hey, I know he's a liar, because every time his mouth moves, he's lying, right? Everything he says is a lie. That is, that is what we're talking about when we begin to talk about Satan. You look at him trying to tempt Jesus, he's using Scripture misusing Scripture to try to get Jesus to sin, right? You ever had a person do that to you? Yeah, quoting Scripture, but they're misusing it to try to get you to sin or to believe lies. That is Satan. He's tempting and convincing men with lies. And if you're going to keep his schemes from deceiving you, you better have some idea what he's talking about. How do you do that? You need to gird yourself with the truth. Now, there are a lot of people today who will say, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. I hear this all the time in my secular workplace. Some will even try to challenge you or to confuse you and to say, well, what exactly is truth? And if you want the answer to that, I would recommend go over to John 17, 17. Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Certainly, if Jesus' word is truth, and we have inspired scriptures, which we do, then you better learn to study your Bibles and to have an understanding of what is truth so that you're not going to be lied to and deceived. Because guys, that's, that is Satan's scheme from the very beginning. To deceive you into thinking that something else is acceptable when it's not. And that's where usually the spiritual battles that we deal with on a day-to-day basis is because somebody is doing something contrary to the will of God and we're having to deal with the consequence. Not always. Sometimes it, it could be carried out in other ways. But that's usually what it is. Consider all the many lies people believe because they just don't know their Bible. Let me give you a few. Because this almost always goes back to a lack of understanding and education. You've got people who think there are different ways to heaven. You've got people who think there are different ways of salvation. You have people who have different ideas on morality. You go around and ask somebody in our culture today, Is this okay? Yep. Next person? Nope. Virtually none of them are going to go, Yeah, let me see. Somebody asked me, is that okay? Give them a verse. But you have all these different ideas. Some have different views on what is acceptable in worship. Some think this is okay. Some think that's, that's not okay. You have different views of who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, or how it is that they work. You have different views regarding the Bible and whether or not the Bible is inspired. And the list would go on and on and on. And all of the reasons that these people believe a lie is because they have been deceived. Truth for all matters pertaining to one's righteousness is found only in the Scriptures. And if it contradicts God's Word, then it contradicts God's will. Again, that's the goal of Satan. Paul says we have to be clothed with a breastplate of righteousness, verse 14. When one is faithful and they are obedient to the Scriptures, we are considered righteous. Okay, And let me say this, no, you're not going to ever be perfect. You're not going to. I mess up probably just as often as the rest of you it's not my goal and while we cannot be perfect we can be righteous Satan doesn't want that he wants us to fail he desires that we we would either doubt our righteous standing with God and that we would we would struggle with the things that we deal with in this life that is exactly what the breastplate is for it's to deflect the sinful and the doubt it's a whole lot easier to stand as we have Paul here telling us when we have our protective covering on the front, okay? We need to remember this is a spiritual battle. That's why we're not talking about physical armor. He's using physical armor for us to understand in our mind what he's talking about. But he's, he's already said this is a spiritual battle. You need to have spiritual armor on, right? At its most root level, almost everything that you deal with that is being carried out by men, it usually boils down to some type of a spiritual level. Most likely with them first and you're dealing with the consequences but it could be it could be us I'd say many of us have dealt with sin issues even within our own life so here's the question it's a spiritual battle what about when I fail that's a logical question some struggle with failure uh, or the idea of failure when they realize they can't be perfect it's funny when you become a Christian your your goal which it is the correct goal your goal is to be faithful right and then all of a sudden you begin to struggle in life Uh, and let's take it to its worst level let's say that you're struggling so bad that you have fallen to where you never thought you would fall and a lot of people at that point say I'm just gonna give up I'm just gonna give up it's just easier just to give up right I'll go back to go back to what I was before I was a Christian again you're not going to be perfect as a Christian but you can, you can repent and you can be righteous. Another scheme of the devil is to make you think that you have the ability within yourself to determine what is righteous. How many people have left the church because they now think they can determine what is acceptable or not acceptable? Quite a few. Listen to Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We talked about this this morning. I won't go into great detail because I don't want our video banned from YouTube, but... The world around us will promote things that are completely immoral, completely illogical, and they will tell you that this is perfectly fine. Perfectly acceptable to live this lifestyle or do this. And here's the reason. There are some people who things, think things seem right, and to them it might. Paul says we need to have an understanding of this truth. But the breastplate is not enough. Listen to verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What exactly is the gospel of peace? Well, most of us are familiar with the word gospel. It means the good news, the Greek word euangelion. The gospel of peace has the sole purpose of teaching men how to be saved and to stay saved. It's it's the peace that we have between us and God. That's the gospel of peace. It's the good news that allows me to have a peace between me and God. Right? It doesn't mean I'm going to always have peace on earth. Uh, that's, that's not going to happen. But I can have peace between me and God. And why? It's because of the gospel. Without the gospel, I would have no idea how to please God. Uh, literally, it'd be like if I started a job and said, hey, what are my requirements? And they said, oh, there's none. And then all of a sudden, review time comes around. And my boss comes out and says, yeah, you failed here, 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 here. You got a manual or something to help me out? For the Christian, we do. Here's your manual, right? Here's your manual. Without that, I would not know how to either be saved or to stay saved. But we have to be prepared to be obedient to that gospel. Why? Well, we're being tempted through the schemes of the devil to do something else that's not in alignment with our scriptures. And here's the thing, I also have to be prepared to teach those around me who are currently deceived and being deceived by the schemes of the devil And usually it's because they don't know any better, but they need someone to tell them, hey, that's not the will of God. Let me show you what the gospel actually teaches. Because again, you can never become saved or stay saved without the knowledge from the gospel. And so he says, you need to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He goes on in verse 16, above all, above all, huh, something's more important. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. He says, above all, okay, there's there's something that's extremely important here. All of these things are needed, but this one is really, really important, okay? The shield is the most effective defensive weapon that one has in a battle. I don't know if any of you guys like to watch war movies, battle movies, but when the guy has the shield, right... You always see the arrows coming, flying through the air. There's a new historian I found, guys. He's amazing, but he covers all these battles from the medieval time. And they're all lined up, right? Because you just want to stand in an open field and shoot arrows at each other. And what do they do when the arrows come? They all put the shield up, right? I already have my armor on, but I'm not going to depend on just the armor because I have a shield. It's the first weapon of defense in stopping these blows. And he says, you need to have this shield of faith. This is the primary defense against every form of attack. The shield of faith that he's talking about here. It's the trust and conviction that allows us to fend off the schemes of the devil, which come through many different avenues, sometimes natural law, oftentimes through temptations of the flesh, or through other men carrying out the will of Satan. And it is this faith which allows one to remain confident in all of the promises that were reserved for me and you. All the promises reserved for us as Christians. Let's go on over to Ephesians 6.17. He says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hard to be uh, prepared or to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel if you don't have your sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. They go hand in hand. Okay, What exactly is this piece of armor going to do for you? Let's go on over to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. What does the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, what does it do for me? In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul's going to give a little bit of information about unrighteous people. And you say, why would you go there? Logically, you need to. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And I want you to specifically pay attention to these unrighteous people. Notice what Paul tells the church in Corinth. Verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Let me pause for a minute. He's talking to Christians. Their goal is to inherit the kingdom of God. And then he tells them this. Notice the unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God? That's an important message to me as a Christian if I want to inherit the kingdom of God. Now he warns them. Be not deceived. Let me pause again. What does Satan do? Carries out his schemes. What's a scheme? Deceit. Trickery. He says, "Be not deceived; neither fornicators, that's not okay, nor idolaters, not okay, nor adulterers, nor effeminate." Again, uh, very, very easily using the description of the effeminate and the masculine in same partner relationships. Hopefully, that makes sense to you without going into great detail. Okay nor abusers of themselves with mankind, all that's tied together, nor thieves, that's not okay, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Why is he telling a bunch of Christians who want to inherit the kingdom of God this? He goes on. He says, and such were some of you. You guys weren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now you're Christians. But I'm telling you people that do these things, they're they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And these were you. He goes on, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, let me emphasize what's important right here. Paul says, such were some of you. I'm not going to ask anybody to hold their hand up, but I do want you in your mind to ask the question here. Have you ever been deceived and been a fornicator or an idolater or an adulterer? or involved in one of these effeminate, or an abuser of themselves with mankind, or a thief, or covetous, or a drunkard, or a reviler, or an extortioner? Have you been any of those? And there's a whole bunch more. And a lot of people would say, yeah, I've done all those things. Well, I have no hope. Paul says, that was some of you. Not anymore, but that's, that's what you were. Some of you were this. So here's the question. Why are they not like that now? What happened? They were being deceived, but now they're not being deceived. Logical question, what changed? Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Believe what? Believe the will of God, and now I can see where the schemes of Satan are being carried out, and I'm being tempted, and I'm being deceived to do these things. Guys, the Word of God has always had the power to show one how to be saved and to help keep one, be faithful and strong. It has the power to change even the worst of people. I don't care who the worst person is, you know. That person has the ability to become something better, to become a righteous follower of God. I don't care if they're an adulterer. I don't care if they're a drunk laying out in the street. I don't care how bad that person is. I have seen some pretty sinful people in my life become Christians. I became a Christian. You guys didn't know me back then. And I think about that. Somebody asked me one time, why would you go to school to become a minister? And I said, man, I thought to myself, if a person as messed up as me can become a Christian, there's got to be other people out there, right? And I hope that each of us realize that none of us is any better. We all needed the saving grace of God. And the only way to access that grace is through the Word of God. You show me a faithful Christian, I'm going to show you an individual who has studied and understands the Word of God. They know what to look out for when Satan is trying to deceive them, when Satan is trying to get them to fall, to to be involved with or accept doctrine that is not correct. It is only through a knowledge of the faith. When I say the faith, I'm talking about the system of faith that one can strengthen their faith. You may say, what are you talking about? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. The New Testament there, you've got the word the. Let me make it easier for you. For by grace are you saved through the faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul's not talking about personal faith here. When he says, by grace you're saved through faith, he's not talking about your personal faith, but he's not excluding your personal faith. You are saved through the system of faith, which includes your faith as a whole, and I'll explain that in just a second. But he's talking here about the system of faith. More specifically, the system of faith mentioned by Jude. Listen to Jude 1.3, and you'll see what Paul's talking about. Because when Paul says, for by grace are you saved through the faith, this is what Jude is talking about. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Everybody's saved the same way. How How do we understand that? He goes on. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It is an adherence to the system of faith by which each of us is changed. And it is that change that we see taking place and ongoing on a daily basis which increases our personal faith. Me living according to the system of faith as a Christian increases my personal faith. The two go like this, right? It's, it's because I can look back and say, you know what, I'm not like I was before I was a Christian. That encourages and strengthens my personal faith. Guys, the Christian life's not trouble-free. It never has been and it never will be. And Satan sees to that. He is always on the attack, oftentimes or most oftentimes, his schemes being carried out through those who are obviously not followers of God, those who are following their Father. And it's, it's in an attempt to deceive and to defeat us. And so when these things take place, you don't normally see it for what it really is. You think to yourself, why is... I'll just make up a name here. Hopefully there's nobody. Here. Why, is, why is Andy being like that to me all the time, right? Your battle is not really with Andy or whoever it is you're dealing with. It's a much deeper battle than that. It's a spiritual battle. They don't even realize that they're the problem. But at its most root level, it's because they're, they're helping carry out the schemes of Satan. You may say, what are those? Anything that's contrary to the will of God. Anything and everything contrary to the will of God being carried out by somebody else. That is the scheme of Satan at work in your life. And we don't see that at the time. You know, somebody comes up. I told you I worked at a place where a guy was always picking on me because this is when I was first... I had a couple times where I tried to become a Christian, and it didn't last very long. But this one, maybe the first time. And a guy took my coffee cup, and he drilled a hole through it, and I found it floating in a toilet. And I thought, my problem is with, my problem, I'm not going to say his name, my problem is with so-and-so. No, nah, he's just the manifestation of a whole bigger spiritual battle taking place here, right? My problem's not really with him. It's just a coffee cup, guys. It's a $4 coffee cup, right? <laughs> this is a bigger, bigger battle than that. But I couldn't see it at the time and I don't think usually we see it as we're dealing with these. It is a bigger battle. You are literally in the fight of your life almost every day. I pray that that you have great days and where most days you don't struggle. And I pray that oftentimes you don't struggle because you're not tempted by the schemes of the devil. But unfortunately, uh, you're involved in a fight that's going to continue till the day you die, and you can't really afford to lose it. So let me ask this question. He tells us to be strong, to stand, to be ready to oppose and to resist. And I guess that's the question: Are you strong in the Lord, or are you weak? Have you put on the whole armor of God, or have you just put on a couple of bits and pieces? I can be honest with you guys and say, if I'm running into a battle, I don't just want my helmet on. <laughs> you see me running out there in a pair of shorts, no shirt on, and just a helmet? Yeah, probably not going to last very good. probably not going to last very long, right? I need all of the armor on. Uh, I'm using a simple, crazy illustration to show you guys that one piece of the armor is not going to protect. And if I think for a second that I can only take one piece of the spiritual armor and I'm going to go out and effectively battle, no, I'm not. That's why Paul actually gives us the list. Have you put on the whole armor of God or are you vulnerable? Have you already been overcome by some of these schemes? Let me say that to anybody who's sitting here right now or watching it watching this online have you already over been overcome with with one of satan's schemes i don't know where you're struggling i don't know what you're dealing with i will tell you this we had a person not long ago come into work and they were uh intoxicated or on drugs i don't know which Uh, and come to find out they'd been coming in that way for about a month and that person ended up getting fired, and they were probably wondering in their mind, why would God do this to me? And I will say this in their defense. They were dealing with, they're dealing with a horrible situation in life, and this was their easy avenue to get out of it, right? Let me just escape reality. Their escaping reality just made the problems even worse in their life because then they, they end up getting fired from their job. And I say all of that to say sometimes we are vulnerable in this life When all we really need to do is just reach out and ask somebody to help us. For us as Christians, we ask another faithful Christian, please help me, I'm struggling. If that person would have gone up to HR and said, I need help, we would have got them help. But they didn't. They thought they could do it all on their own. And now they're dealing with the consequences of their problems. Let me say that to those of you who are here right now. If you're struggling with something, if you've already been overcome, ask another brother or sister in Christ to help you. It's just like HR. We can't help you if we don't know. And so I pray that there's nobody here dealing with any major issues. But if you are, you need to ask for help and you need to put on this armor. You need to be prepared. Maybe you're watching this and you're, you're not a Christian yet. You can put the armor on at any time if you just simply obey the gospel. Or if you've walked away from the faith, maybe you're watching this and you used to be a Christian and you're not anymore. You took the armor off and you set it on the, on the battlefield and you went back to the world. You know what? Come back. Put the armor back on. Repent and get back to work. Protect yourself. Guys, in all situations, as you begin to talk about the Christian struggle, it's a much deeper struggle than what you think it is, and we don't see it at the time. It is a battle against righteousness, against unrighteousness. And at its deepest level, it is Satan's schemes being carried out in this world. And we oftentimes miss it. As I draw this to a close, my concern is, is you realize you're you're in the fight of your life if you're a Christian. It's almost always something more than what you really think it is. It is a spiritual battle. If you're watching this and you're not a Christian, or if you're here and you're not a Christian, here's what I would ask you to do. Please let one of us understand or know that you would desire to have a greater understanding so we can go back and teach you what the Word of God is so that you would believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He came, as our prophesied Messiah, to establish the church, to shed His blood on a cross, which allows for the remission of sins. We need to explain that to you so you can believe and have faith. You need to know about sin and the consequence of sin so you can repent, Luke 13, 3 and 5. You need to confess Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and you need to be immersed in water for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, you've not yet become a Christian. And if you're watching this online and you've never heard that, You may say you said that pretty confident. Yes, I did. Please contact us. Let us study with you. That is how you become a Christian. Every example in the book of Acts follows that format, okay? Once you become a Christian, guess what? The battle's at play. Now you need to be prepared, you need to have your spiritual armor, and you better expect that there's going to be struggles. But the struggles are not oftentimes what they seem, there is a spiritual battle taking place. There's a way we can assist you in any way you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.